Thank you for your attention to this Dharma Mining Company training course on fire safety. Everyone knows that fire is the leading cause of insurable cargo losses and productivity declines. Thanks to a voluntary settlement with the Universal Safety and Health Association, in which the company admitted no wrongdoing whatsoever, all Dharma employees are entitled to the recommended daily allowance of breathable oxygen for each shift. But where you have oxygen, you can have fire. Unfortunately, until such time as Dharma is able to replace all workers with effective robotic automatons, working in or near an oxygen environment is inescapable. So, let's go to the production wall to hear from Mr. Foreman about some standard procedures that will help prevent fire from raging out of control and destroying valuable company equipment. Thanks, Mr. Announcer. The first thing to remember is that if you are in an oxygen-free environment, then you are the only thing that can catch or cause fire. That means all responsibility for fire prevention is yours. If a fire starts in or on your environment suit, fed by your mandatory minimum supply of recommended daily oxygen, it's your responsibility as a Dharma employee to make sure that the fire doesn't spread. Isn't that right, Worker A498? Um, that's right, Mr. Foreman. Why don't you tell us how to do that, um, Bill? Bill. Right. Certainly, Mr. Foreman. Each Dharma Mining Company approved EVA suit sports a convenient and ergonomic oxygen cutoff switch. Not only can it save your valuable minimum daily oxygen rations, it is a crucial safety tool in the event of fire in or on your suit. With a simple button press, you can rob the dangerous fire of the air it needs to damage your expensive mining equipment and reduce mining efficiency. Sadly, sometimes panicking employees will forget to shut off their oxygen, but instead unseal their helmet. Huh, that would be the Dama-approved, head-enhancing, light-maintaining, environmental topper. That's right, Mr. Foreman. If you remove your helmet before shutting off your oxygen feed, open flames fueled by your burning clothing and flesh may escape your suit and damage tools and equipment. And if you panic, you may run around your workspace, potentially causing additional damage and injury. Ha ha! Ha ha! Thanks, worker A498. When company employees panic and cause damage by their irresponsible combusting and flailing, Dharma must pay to have windows cleaned, bulkheads repainted, and occasionally pay medical costs. That money comes right off Dharma's bottom line. Too right, Mr. Foreman. With incidents of personal combustion, patience and immobility are key in preventing damage to Dharma assets. Do not, under any circumstances, try to stop, drop and roll. Swift action to cut off your oxygen is necessary, so don't freeze up. Many of Dharma's facilities are without gravity and therefore dropping is impossible. And if gravity is present, rolling around only increases the chance that the flames will damage more equipment. Now you know how to fight suit fires in a vacuum, but what about a pressurized, oxygenated environment such as a cargo bay? Let's go back to Mr. Foreman and Gil to see what happens if you ignore your training. Oh, hello, worker A498. Say, that pallet of explosive gas canisters looks a bit unstable. That's right, Mr. Foreman. A substandard independent contractor packed this cargo pallet in an unsafe manner which violates Dharma Mining Company policy. One of the tanks may come loose from the pallet and could cause a serious fire or explosion. Hmm, sounds like a right rotten pickle, Jill. I suppose we should rectify this situation according to proper safety procedure. Oh, there's no need, Mr. Foreman. That protocol requires a controlled replacement of the oxygen in the room with inert gases prior to restacking the pallet. 
but then we lose an entire hour of productivity while the pump cycles the atmosphere. Instead, I borrowed a couple of fire extinguishers from the executive offices in case something goes wrong. I don't know. Sounds a bit risky. But on the other hand, I do hate to lose productivity. And there is an emergency EVA suit and an airlock we can use to expose this room to vacuum in case of real trouble. Well, then, go ahead. Carry on, Brill. Thanks, Mr. Foreman. Look out! The canisters! They've caught fire. We're doomed! Well, Mr. Foreman, there's only one EVA suit. How will we both survive? It's company policy to give emergency equipment to executives first, because we carry higher life insurance coverage, and my death could cause a material increase in premium payments. Oh, that makes sense, Mr. Foreman. I hope you are able to enjoy the quiet view of the vast expanse of space until your rescue. I've had a good career with Dharma. My only regret is that my failure to follow safety protocols may depress the revenue streams of the... Remember, emergency depressurization is the standard response to all combustion incidents. In stations and areas where decompression is inadvisable, or where substandard independent contractors have neglected proper maintenance of safety systems, here is a list of approved items that can be used to reduce or eliminate dangerous fires. Fire extinguishers, available only in executive offices. Flame retardant blanket. Empty EVA suit with oxygen flow off. Occupied EVA suit with oxygen flow off. Dharma Mining Company employees wearing flame retardant clothing. Substandard independent contractors wearing no clothing and properly depilated. Dharma Mining Company employees or substandard independent contractors with an external moisture factor of greater than 80%. Thank you for your careful attention to this presentation on fire safety, but this is only one of several deadly workplace hazards you must face each day. Remember, Dharma Mining Company is counting on you, our workers, to also guard against losses due to... Alien invasion. Explosive decompression, viral plague, substandard independent contractors, over-the-counter financial derivative trading. To receive an individual fire safety plan, please contact your employee legal representative, Mr. or Mrs. Insert name here. Dharma wishes to remind you that the employee legal department currently has a backlog of... 14 years. Your request will be processed in the order it was received. Remember, the most dangerous workplace hazard is fire, and nothing cuts into Dharma's profits more than danger. My portrait thrusters won't stop firing! I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like, literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is Control. Be real. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Citizens, civs, captains, and commanders, you've tuned to the guard frequency. And as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 120 of the Best Damn Space Sim podcast ever and was recorded in May on Friday the 13th and made available for download Tuesday, May 17th over at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Tony. And I'm Lennon. What do we have this week, Lennon? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we discuss the worst ways to die in space. 
On the flight deck, we see what news has landed from your favourite space sims as we cover our usual trifecta of games, including Star Citizen's monthly report and details of patch 2.4 on the PTU, improvements to the Rooty Tooty Point and Shooties in Elite Dangerous, as well as improved chances for good results from crafting, and more tidbits from Descent Underground's development stream. Next, we debate. Stop, stop. You can't talk about that. Why not? Under an NDA. Oh. Right, okay, well, I'll just get Jeff to leak the debate topic later. And finally, we tune in to the very, very large feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see if Lennon can get me to leak anything. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Cryptor, 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 this is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. So, you know, I've had just about enough of this news stuff I usually put in the Squawk Box segment. I'm going full out just frivolity this time. Uh, This week, I'm watching a silly little Flash animation called Death in Space by Thomas Lucas. We'll put a link in the show notes if you haven't seen it. Over the course of a mere 40 seconds, poor astronauts are fried, mutated, squashed, zapped, eaten, and, my personal favorite, sucked into interdimensional space. So... I thought we'd just have a little roundtable discussion in the spirit of, you know, a million ways to die in the West. And uh, what's your favorite way to go in sci-fi? Jeff. Well, I sure. thought about this briefly. And, and I think that if you think about it, the, the, the worst way you could probably go is being sucked out the airlock without any environmental suits. You oh, know, yeah. your lungs explode. Classic. You, you, you puff up. I mean, I, it's painful. It, I, everything's running through your mind. Oh, no. Well, yeah, yeah, and you know it's yeah, coming. It's, and you're, nothing, you're conscious for it. There's nothing that can yeah. save you or anything. It's like, I, I'm yeah. done for, and I know I'm done for. And and you go through the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, it's a classic, but yeah, probably is pretty terrible. All right, Lennon, he took, he took the obvious one. What's what's okay. your what's your favorite way to go? Um, I'm gonna go with the B movie setup of uh, running away from a monster type alien on a planet, but with a little added twist that the gravity is ever so slightly stronger than it is on Earth. So you oh. know you should be running faster. But it's like it's like that sort of classic nightmare where you feel yes, like you're running, you but your legs like are running, like but you're stuck. Not. That's yeah, exactly oh. what I was going for. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's a good one, too. That, that's a good one, too. Um, I'm going to go a little weird, okay? This one's a little freaky, but uh, this has haunted me ever since I was a child. Do you remember that episode of Star Trek where they went to that planet and the fried eggs attacked you? Did you remember that one? Yes, where they, like, yes. Oh, they, they, yeah, they flew yeah, the yeah, air yeah. and like, what, was, uh, latched onto Spock's back and, like, you know... I think that would be a death by flying fried eggs. I think that would be my worst way to go because they infect you and then you like you like go insane or something and then you die yeah. horribly. Okay, so I'm going to transition this now. So, what's the most memorable on-screen death and in space in sci-fi and fantasy? We'll go backwards this time, Lennon. What's what's your what's your most memorable one? Oh gosh, um, so it's not a particularly like major space death, for want of a better term. In fact, no, I'm going to have to rethink that. Oh, the most memorable space death? Definitely the chest burst. Oh, you took mine. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I realized the one that I was going to pick wasn't actually a space death. It was a ground death, very much on Earth. It was just in a sci-fi show, and so that wasn't going to work at all. Oh, no, it's okay. Um, Pick your runner-up. That's okay. Show your runner-up. So the the runner-up, this was just pure for, at the time, one, I couldn't believe that they actually got away with showing this on TV, and two, the level of special effect, considering it was like the late 80s. Um, it was from TNG. Uh, oh, I know what you're going to say. Yes. The phaser zap with the guy who just yes. exploded. And all the little bugs like popped out of his yes. torso. Yes. Yes. 
Oh man, that I one think, has always stuck in my mind. That's I just. I think my mom was watching that with me, and I was afraid she wasn't going to let me watch Star Trek anymore, which yeah. is hilarious because she was the hugest Star Trek fan when she was a kid. But yeah, that was gross. And that in the eight, 1987 or 88 when that oh that was oof. yeah yeah okay all right all right Jeff he's taking two good ones off the well, table. Well, Sorry, I, I, I got a couple. I mean. The other one I was thinking okay. about, I can't remember the movies, but when when that creature with long tentacles takes that guy and just rips him right in half, and you know his body parts are just splaying everywhere. Yeah, that would be a horrible way to go. Just literal, yeah. like yeah, ripped, top ripped him right in half. I mean, like no resistance whatsoever. It's just like whoosh, ripped right in half. Oh, all right, all right. Well, uh, mine's going to come from Star Trek as well. My my most memorable death one. I'm going to go with Captain Terrell in Wrath of Khan where he gets the bug put in his oh, brain. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It's eating at his brain and making him do all the things that Khan wants him to do. And then as he's losing his mind, as the pain is sort of taking over, he turns the phaser on himself and vaporizes himself. I mean, you just, yep. you just, you just watch you watch him go through the whole, you know, I'm trying to keep it together, trying to keep it together, and he knows as the end is near, and he just, like, turns the gun around and goes, pow, and just, pew, and screams bloody murder as he disintegrates. Like, that was... Yeah. Actually, thinking about it, Star Trek has had some pretty horrible ones, and there's even some that work well without you having being able to like visually see them. Because you know, gory horror is all well and good, but can you remember? I, I think it was in the motion picture or thereabouts. Mm. Um, they mm-hmm. beamed somebody up, yes. and you heard over the intercom just this horrifying scream. And Kirk said something like, "Did we get them?" And Scotty said, "Like, oh well, what we got didn't live for very long." It's like, yeah, dude, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was that was disturbing. <laughs> that was disturbing. It made me at that tender young age think about Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yep. Yeah, you yeah, know yeah, that yeah. was that was in that same sort of time frame and you know on TV in America they would sort of air those, you know, like late at night and Star Trek the motion picture and Raiders of the Lost Ark were in that same general time frame. I had nightmares about the Indiana Jones thing and then when I saw the Star Trek and I'm like, "Oh, that's what that was." Like that the visual just yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checker screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for May 13, 2016, 113,781,000, up about 600,000. 1.38 million registered accounts, up about only 9,600 accounts or so. And 971,000 ships in the UEE fleet, up about 5,000. And speaking of Star Citizen, this is old news for many, but patch 2.4 has come out on the PTU. Fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on your point of view, someone assumed NDA actually stood for Now Distribute All Over the Place. And the patch notes were, in fact, leaked online. The full notes reveal that this patch is huge, and the notes themselves are almost 5,000 words, which is, just to put it in perspective, about half the length of the average monthly report. So we're just going to give you a very, very quick rundown of the major changes that suggest new gameplay elements those with PTU access are now playing around with right this very second. Obviously, persistence is the biggie. Players in Crusader should see their alpha UEC, item purchases, hangar configurations, loadouts, reputation and ammo totals remain the same from session to session to session, but only in Crusader. As suggested in the last note, Alpha UEC is now a thing. It can be earned by completing missions as either a model citizen or as uh, someone on the darker side of the spectrum. Some of the new missions include bounties to be gathered for dispatching certain NPCs. 
And since money has been introduced, the utopian communism of latter days has been scrapped in favour of good old fashioned capitalism. Many things that were previously free, such as fuel and ammo, now have an associated cost with them. And finally, the base reliant is now in the hangar, and the Starfarer is actually flyable. A uh, note from our producer here says he can't wait to see the arguments about balance with the Starfarer when it goes public. Obviously, the full notes contain a lot more details and minor changes, but most of them only apply if you can get into the PTU, and many will probably change by the time anyone else gets access. Oh, and for reasons that should be really obvious, links to the leaked patch notes will not be in the show notes. For those without the vaunted PTU access, like yours truly, CIG offered their monthly report for April. As one might expect, there are a lot of references to persistence in 2.4, and we can't talk about it in Squadron 42. But a few things are worth calling out. In LA, high notes are the Herald moving into White Box, and Calix working on developing the salvage mechanic for all those reclaimer owners. The UK section was titled Chuffed and Knackered, which Lennon will have to explain to us later. Stuff we could uh, understand included that they were in polish and optimization stage and working on NYX. And while the VX team was working on making the Starfarer blow up pretty, also UK programmers were the ones to blame now that fuel repairs and ammo will start costing money, albeit the Alpha money. Germany has more technical AI programming information and they're working on the Hurston and Nameless Lawless base landing locations. Behavior was all about the shopping, and Turbulence Big Thing last month was apparently the April Fool's joke. Alright, so, chuffed and knackered. Um, if anybody wants to have a crack at these terms, let's, let's start with chuffed. Tony? I know this one, and okay. the only reason I know this one is because my son was obsessed with Thomas the Tank Engine okay. when he was little. Yeah. Chuffed is when you are very proud of something you've done. Yeah, exactly. Yes! Okay, so that then leaves Knackered, which I'm going to throw over to Jeff, considering you had a bit of a head start there. Well, I, I think Knackered is when you screw something up and it's been Knackered. <laughs> well, yeah, no, that is that is a legitimate definition. Um, however, in the context of this... Um, wait, 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 I know this one too. I know okay. this one. It's, it's, it's when you get... Uh, in America, it would be the equivalent of being de-pantsed when someone pulls down your Knackers. <laughs> That's Again? your Knickers, not Knackers. Oh, I was so ah. close. <laughs> <laughs> close, close. Um, knackered. Um, I, I can. Would it help if I offered the Cockney rhyming slang variant? Oh, I'm sure that'll be a, a great sure help would. to us. Go right ahead. Okay. Cream crackered. <laughs> now I'm thinking I'd prefer my my definition. I think I'd, I think I'd rather be depants. That's where I take my cane and knock you upside the head. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe in a pearly king kind of way, but uh, no, knackered actually. Yeah, actually, means... okay. Knackered, knackered's tired, right? Like tuckered yeah, out. Yeah, tired. Like, yeah, tuckered. Okay. That's a good. So they are uh, very pleased with what they've done, but they're exhausted by the effort of getting it done. Yes. Chuffed and knackered is actually a, a very a lot, a lot quicker way to say that. So, so, but, uh, but they are, but it, back steering us back to an actual discussion. Apparently, what they're saying to us is that they've made some uh, uh, a lot of progress at great cost to their personal energy levels so that's good and then they can't talk about it and that's not so good really wish they could talk about it yeah there's there's a lot of stuff that people apparently shouldn't be talking about but they're doing it anyway so this that's is a thing yeah yeah it's a thing they're doing so i mean did anybody think that that these things that are coming out in 2.4 were actually going to be something that was going to come much later or, or like was anybody surprised to see any of 2.4 in there no no, me neither. Right, that's great. Moving on. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, not really. I mean, yeah. this was a sort of in the blueprint, I thought. You know, uh, 
persistence-wise, I mean, I note that paint jobs weren't in there. <laughs> Serious criteria from our discussions over the last couple of weeks, you know, so uh, going to have to dock points for not saving paint jobs. So there's that, obviously. But the rest of it's good. I mean, you know, you spend the ammo and, it, uh, you know, that, that introduces some new you know, strategic decisions and thinking on the part of pilots. Uh, it's going to cost you money when you pull the trigger now. You won't have to reset your loadout, hopefully, every single time you go out. That's good. Damage, persistent damage, I don't see that on the list at this point. So that would be important. But I guess you'd have to have a repair mechanic first before you could do that. Yeah. But, you know, hey, progress, right? Three yards in a cloud of dust is what you're hoping to see. Yeah, yeah. You know, when when I can load into my hangar and I can launch from my hangar and go out to, you know, the universe, then then I may be surprised. Yeah, that will be a big deal. Yeah, they're going to have to uh, figure out the uh, new hollow table interface, whatever that replacement's going to be. Uh, whether or not we stick with the Moby Glass or not, but that's going to have to come with the hangers, you know, or maybe even before. You might have to have that before uh, they can load people in their individual hangers. They'll probably need a planet side landing zone too. But I mean, they've got Area 18; they could have hangers in there. Yeah, well, um, Germany is also, you know, they're working on the Hurston and the Lawless base landing locations, so maybe that's actually coming a little bit sooner. Fingers crossed. So speaking of the PTU, just very quickly, are any of you guys in the PTU? And I realize it's under NDA, so let's say one no for yes, two no's for no. No, no. No, no. 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 No, I'm definitely not. (laughs) Supposedly, at some point, they're going to get their patch thing figured out so that you don't have to do a 30 gig download every time. Um, I don't know that that's the case now. Um, Hopefully that comes soon. In that case, uh, you know, having the the bandwidth cost for pushing a patch to a large number of people be better. And, you know, maybe they've trained some bug reporters, and maybe those bug reporters can train other bug reporters so they can open it up a little more next time. I don't. This is the way they wanted to go with their Avocatee system, I guess, having a more dedicated group of testers that may make a lot of sense to people. In the development environment, right, there's a, a group of people that you know report regularly, you know, or are dedicated to it. You've got them sort of trained to file the reports a certain way. That probably makes a lot of sense as far as speed and iteration goes. But, you know, it kind of flies against the idea of an open development situation where everybody has a chance to try the new thing even if it's broken. So I'm torn. I'm torn about the situation. Well, I'm with you too. I mean, I, w- I used to participate a lot in the PTU. I sent in stuff when I found it was broken, but apparently it wasn't enough. So Crying in your beer there a little bit, Jeff? No, I, I'm not really. I, you know, I've got at the I've end got, of your four megabit uh, download string there. Yeah, well, that that's beside the point. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, again, if they, uh, you know, getting that back end figured out is a thing they've got to have done, uh, so they can push smaller patches more frequently, um, and I think that'll only help with the iterative design. And turning to Elite Dangerous, we are one week into the beta for Dangerous Horizons, the Engineers 2.1 or 1.6 update, depending on which version you purchased. And has anyone noticed that the name is getting a little ridiculous at this point? Many colons are involved now. But that aside, this first week has already brought a significant update based on player feedback. Most of the standout changes center on the engineers themselves, the crafting system, and upgraded weapons. However, some other fixes made it in, like a boost to profits from ice mining and a possible fix for the Andorian effect, where changes in UI color turned the NPCs blue. Also, materials in the interface will now include a description with clues to locations and methods of collection. 
Weapon balancing started with the addition of diminishing returns to the weapon's modifications that give heat attacks, testers reporting heat values in the thousands of percent range. However, the power play retributor weapon will be boosted to be on par with those newer heat weapons. The controversial feedback cascade mod will no longer crash the target shield system entirely, but will instead deal damage to the cell bank that it disrupts. Good move, gents. Among normal weapons, cannons now no longer have any damage fall-off over range and can better overcome armor to penetrate modules and deal damage. Missiles have been further improved with more health, better damage and shield penetration, as well as stronger tracking on seekers. With subsystem targeting, they should be the best way to take out drives or weapons. Turrets had a boost to their damage and rate of fire, meant to make them more appealing for use on larger ships. And coming soon is a tweak to improve the odds for higher-end crafting results, especially when paired with these special experimental modifications, so that your upgrades actually feel like upgrades. Additionally, some materials will be consolidated and removed, leaving fewer separate types to collect before you can begin your crafting. The dev team asks for continued testing, as all the feedback they've gotten so far from beta players has allowed these rapid adjustments in the first week alone. A lot of good moves here. Yes. A lot of good moves. A lot of things we called for before, and they, they did it. And the minor changes, you know, the, the, the GUI changes I like, too. I like the new... Uh, oh, yeah, you're in the beta. Oh, yeah, I'm in the beta. Give us give us your pros and cons. Um, not not too many cons. Uh, actually, I can't think of one off the top of my head. I'm sure I could have with some thought. But I did like the new uh, menus and, you know, in the outfitting, there's a new, everything's broken down. You got tabs now that you can uh, switch over. You get more information on each uh, item that you want to outfit. So I think they, they've taken some of the general feedback they've uh, taken on their on their GUI and uh, have done a, an amazing job with it. I still think that they need to fix their color system. I, I had an idea that I yeah. posted on Reddit some time ago, but nobody seems to have taken to it yeah i mean the that orange i mean is that such a thing is it such a trademark that they have to you know orange is the only thing it's like henry ford back in the day said yeah you can have any color ford you want as long as you want black they themselves have provided a hack way to change the color but when you change an element you change all of the elements yeah and yeah. and my idea was to uh layer the gui and and programmers and and graphic artists know what i'm talking about so you've got Layer one is your base box outlines, you know, where things where the boxes go. So like in your communications and your shield array and all that, the outlines are all in the first layer. And then you can change that color to whatever you want. And then you put another layer on top of that. And that's your information layer, your, you know. Yeah, the, the bits and pieces, the right, dots. Right. And then yeah. you can put on another layer. And so... You, this way, when you change a color, you're not changing the whole thing. You're only changing that one layer. Right. The problem that I, that, I mean, they did provide a way to, to do it. You fool around with a, a configuration file, a config file somewhere. But, you know, when you change the color, all of a sudden your hostile targets no longer red. They're purple or something. Right. Green. You need yeah. to figure out the new color. It makes it really tough to experiment with different overlays that, uh, that you like. So. Maybe in in version three they figure out a way to do that, but I I, I figured it out. I, I I figured it out. I just I know the way to do it. I just they just haven't done it. They just need to hire you, fly you out to the UK, and yeah. you know, just make that happen. So yeah. there you go, Frontier. Hire Jeff. Fix it. <laughs> hey Jeff, that's just another reason to sleep on the sofas. Yeah, just putting it out there. Um, so you guys um, 
Tony, I know especially you really like the bounty hunting aspect of Elite, and Jeff, I know that you've done a lot of CQC. Not being the sort of aggressive type, the weapon balances and things, I'm really not too sure of, but you said that they've made some good moves with regards to what they're doing. Yeah, the feedback cascade, if you remember, was the one where you would hit you have to get a time just right, and you hit a shield while it's uh, in the process of being uh, boosted. Right, right. Uh, from a shield cell, and then it would take out the target shields completely. I thought that was just a little bit extreme, and it was coming. Kind of it would be difficult to hit, but if you did hit, it would be an I win button. Right. Um, they've changed it a bit, so what it does is damage the shield cell booster module. It uh, will will hurt that if you hit it, and so you know your shields. Theoretically, you're you're hitting that shield booster when your shields are already low. So if somebody times it just right, not only do you not get the effect of the shield booster, your shields are still at that low level, but they're still functioning. You know, they're still there. So I think that's probably a better way to handle it. So it'll make people trigger their shield cells earlier in the fight rather than waiting, letting them get down real low. And then if somebody can hit them, then the person who's, who's flying will know, I need to run away very fast or uh, haha, he missed me and now I've got a you know, shield boost and I can continue the fight. So I think that's I think it's a better way to approach it. Yeah, because I mean I, I obviously like tending to go in more for the trading side of things at the moment. Mm. It's just not something that I've really ever considered because normally when I come under fire, my first instinct is haha, I should run away really fast. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. skip right to the end. And, and see, and that's one of the problems I have with all the you know these passes they're making it with little weapons and all that. They really haven't addressed the way of getting away. You know, uh, how about a uh, uh, EMP pulse that you shoot back at them and it disables their weapons for five seconds or whatever? It's great that you're giving them all all these uh, all these uh, uh, well, I want to say ass hats really bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. ways of of, shoot, uh, of of even destroying you quicker. But what about the person who just wants to avoid the conflict and and get away? I, I for one, don't think that the the escape mechanic is too terribly awful they don't have tractor beams they just have a, a mass distortion thing if the guy's close to you then it takes longer to charge up your your drive i'm not a real big fan of the serial interdictors that you know you jump up and you keep running but then the person you know jumps back into the same instance as you and, and goes after you i know you can you can hightail it out of there you can jump to another system and then you can probably lose them that way but you know it's just it, the cat and mouse part i think is fine if you have a real problem with it hey just go into a private instance like uh, like i do and not mess with it actually that's one of the things that i really do enjoy is the high risk high reward side so yeah. uh, the risk of possibly encouraging griefing which is not exactly what i meant to do here those cat and mouse games are actually for me part of the fun because if i'm somewhere where i need to be in a risky position and i've got to spend 20 minutes trying to escape from something that's part of the gameplay for me you know once you do this a few times you do learn some techniques like if you jump from system a to system b and then go to system c and then try to do it in such a way that you can then just jump back to system a because a lot of people won't think about looping back around on themselves or you know you just go into a system and you just uh, super cruise to a particular point and then try and wait and jump at the last minute to make them think you would have just jump 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 uh, when actually you're then one step behind them that's another good tactic to use and yeah, just some of these sort of escape from the serial interdictors are actually, I find, to be quite fun. Another good thing that they did was they, they're making missiles actually sort of useful now. Yes. Uh, they're yes, changing, yes, yes. changing the way they damage, uh, making more of a splash thing and, and uh, an attack on the external modules rather than trying to you know, punch through the hull. 
yeah. uh, I like that change as well. So overall, I did really encouraged. Um, the player feedback seems to be sort of mirroring what we were suggesting last week in a lot of ways. So, uh, so yay, good on you, and uh, let's keep it going. Well, next up is Descent Underground. Some notes from last and this week on Descent Underground development, along with some of the general quality of life improvements. A patch last week introduced a fusion cannon for Deadpool imitators who want to blast through multiple opponents in line. In the Proving Grounds, the Warlock can use its deactivator weapon to steal power-ups. Enjoy being the least picky thief ever. More progress on the bots, in addition to further improvements on the combat AI. Wingman showed off some of the art for the new color schemes, which indicate the bots' jobs and dispositions. The ship stats page got a much-needed update. Hurry up and read it, as it'll likely be out of date by the time you hear this. Yeah, they're iterating, like, quick and fast on those ships right now, so I wouldn't be surprised if that was actually a, a true statement there. Well, that's what you do. You, you get the feedback, you change it. You get the feedback, you change it. So it's a little early to be balancing that quickly, though. I mean, do they, they don't even have all the systems in there yet. Um, I don't think so. I think that you can... Uh, that they've... It, it comes back to that kind of rock, paper, scissors mentality of ship A beats B, B beats C, but C beats A. And if it's currently not doing that job, whilst you might not have all the systems, you could at least get it to a sort of 80% level. So when you do then add the systems, you're not trying to tweak the entire thing. You're just trying to tweak the last 20%. All right. Yes, sorry for me and my logic. God, you and your facts and your reasoning. <laughs> you're only here for your good voice. I mean, that's that is true. But now it's time for news we didn't use. Overload, the project by designers of the original Descent, has moved into an actual office and started development on several aspects of the game. See their Kickstarter page for update details. Star Citizens Around the Verse production this week featured interviews with Paul and Gary, the people behind Voice Attack and HCS Voice Packs. PC Invasion have a preview of the Everspace Alpha. It's looking pretty hot. Links are in the show notes. CCP have announced a major new patch coming up this week for Eve Valkyrie. The Dangerous Games begin soon. At the end, a player's group faction in Elite will become a new power in power play. And the atmospheric flight model is now live in Infinity Battlescape. Devs say it's, quote, a significant improvement compared to the last version. That's interesting about Elite. Um, I completely missed that. Yeah, they they've got a um, there's basically sort of like like community participation now, um, and players are going to be involved in a number of community goals, trying to decide which player group is actually going to become a power. Huh. So one of those cartoon heads in the power play system is going to get bumped off, and a, a player group is going to go in there. We have to make the ass hats. Do it. <laughs> if they're not already a candidate, we've oh, just yes. made them one. <laughs> yeah, if they, uh, as as a bit of a um, a a bit of recompense for dirtying their name by comparing them to the butt fedoras, um, yes. I think that yes. we should. Yeah, we should get the asshats to be one of the factions in Powerplay. Did did we decide on fedoras or trilbies? I, you know, I, it's, I a bit, it's a bit. I, vague. I like I like bowlers myself. The bowl, butt it could bowlers, be. We could, butt bowlers. Butt it's bowlers. alliterative. It's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's way better. Yes, butt bowlers. Yeah. 
Yeah, okay, that'll work. Or is or is that some kind of person who bowls from their butt? I don't know. Either way, it's not a pretty visual, but it no. does teach me that I should read the patch notes more. And speaking yeah. of patch notes... Interesting. You see, you're not going to get me to leak. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Especially not from the butt bowler. So our, so our news about the details of 2.4 came to us through patch notes that were leaked, apparently in violation of a non-disclosure agreement PTU testers were subject to. Now, violating any official agreement that has legal terms like whereas and parties is always a bad thing. Tony, please tell them why. Well, Jeff, I'm glad you asked. And that's because Thanks, we have... Tony, been... but if you were talking about the game or games that were in open development, should they even be bothering with NDAs in the first place? Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate for us the non-disclosure agreement in open development games. Telling the results of a quick survey, it turns out Lennon has the most citations for indecent exposure, and therefore going first. Tony has significantly fewer, so he's going second. So, Lennon, tell us, why are NDAs and open development both appropriate and necessary? Jeff, just the words non-disclosure agreement tells you that it's a serious thing. You know, there are things within the game that they just don't want you discussing outside of the game. Whether this is because it's an industry secret at this point, they're not ready to reveal it to the mass public, or because it's a feature that could very well change, they have good reasons for only allowing a few limited people to be able to actually see what's going on. And the best way to protect it is to get everybody to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Thank you. Tony? Lennon, you exhibitionist, ignorant slut. It's an oxymoron to have a non-disclosure agreement in any kind of open development setting. I mean, the idea was to throw the curtain back on the process and the procedure of creating bad systems and then improving them based on feedback and testing and iteration. The very idea that you're going to make only a few people privy to that just flies in the face of the original concept. And Lennon, your your response to that? Tony, whilst I take your point there, what you also have to remember is that when it comes to design, design by committee, and especially mass committee, isn't necessarily a good thing. Yes, one of the parts of open development may be that we can see the systems with their raw bleeding edges, but does it necessarily mean that the player base as a whole actually know what they want and what is good for the game? I don't think so. And by exposing it to just a few people at a time, you get much more concise, strong feedback that if you are selecting across the board, it should be represented. And Tony. Lennon, you exhibitionist ignorant slut. I'm telling you that that the uh, concept is bad to begin with, but then layering on top of that some sort of legalese paper mache cover on top of it just makes it a bad situation worse. If you want to recruit a party of people that were going to keep your secrets for you, that's fine. But then making them subject to, you know, civil suits or other types of penalties for just talking about the game you're trying to fix is just a bad idea. Thank you, gentlemen. All right, so yeah, I, uh, I, we took good sides. We had a good, a good little yeah. argument. I'm, I'm ambivalent, really. I don't know. I'm, well, I'm actually sorry. Yeah, Jeff, your perspective. We've talked enough. Tell us. <laughs> I have been the receiving end of many of NDA, and <laughs> I know there's a joke in there somewhere. But <laughs> we're okay. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right hey. We do not want any ideas in the feedback this week about what that NDA <laughs> might stand for that Jeff's been on the receiving end of, okay? Although but, I think we found a show title. We may have. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So, but yes, your thought, Jeff. Your thought. And I've always approached it as, okay, uh, this is what I'm required 
for doing this particular, and it's a job, uh, whether it's a, a beta tester or uh, a company function or, you know, whatever. If you're testing a product, whether it's a physical product or anything, I mean, I've been under Microsoft's NDAs, I've been under company NDAs, I've been under beta testing NDAs, and I've always looked at it as, okay, this is this is required of me, so I'm going to fulfill that because that's what I do. I give them feedback, I don't dis- discuss it, and so I, I, I've never really thought of any other way of approaching it. I don't think... But you, um, do it, you do it in trade for a peek behind the curtain, right? You know, to be one of the first people to have access to a product or to lend them your particular expertise as, as to maybe what they're doing with it or because you you don't want them to screw it up because you're going to need to use this product like well, here you need to you need to listen to me I, I don't do it just to just to get access to something I do it because I have a certain expertise or or a skill set that they're looking for that I can that I feel like I have contributed to so when I uh, when the product is released I can say oh you know I helped in that process there, I helped bring this product to market because I was, uh, my feedback or my work was instrumental in giving them a, a much better product in the end. So I don't think you should never approach it just to look at it as getting early access. And I don't think you should ever guess an NDA. I think an NDA is there not only to protect you, but it's also to protect the company as well. How does so, it protect you? Well, it protects you from, you know, saying something that might change. You know, if you go out there and say, oh, I'm testing this and this is what's happening, but they change it again and it doesn't do that anymore, then who's the who's the idiot? <laughs> I mean, really. All right. I suppose. Uh, I suppose. Although although I think somebody who's relying on a beta, beta tester for sales points in a software that's still in development. I think that's a stretch, but I'll, but I'll, but for the sake of our argument, all right, I'll go with it. I've never questioned an NDA, really. It's part of the job. So, Lennon, were, were, did you get the right side of that debate, or do you have different oh, thoughts? Sorry, I was I was so interested in what you guys were talking about. Like, legitimately, that sounded sarcastic. It's the British way. I can't help it. I was just totally forgot to talk. Yeah, the debate. I I come down on the fact that if it was a closed beta, then NDA absolutely. You know, it's there to be closed along with the whole development cycle but if it's open development especially when you've got a team of hundreds then yeah i don't really think that there's a place for it i mean the like the whole point is we're supposed to be able to see it and even if they're not soliciting feedback and change we should still be able to see it it's open development that's the whole point if cig were a team of like four people and if they you know, had a feature in there that they thought was going to be the killer feature of the game, but yeah. they were worried that that if that was truly open, then a bigger team like Activision might take that and steal it and be able to bring it to market a lot quicker. Then I can understand an NDA. I think for CIG being the sort of almost leaders in this open development, crowdfunded, huge, multi-hundred million dollar space sim, then I think that they've got enough resources that really that level of market competition isn't something they should be worried about. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I disagree with you, Lennon, because just because I back the game doesn't necessarily give me the the, the access that everybody thinks they're entitled to. And 
there have to be some controls so that people don't get so bent out of shape if something does not come to the game. So if they if they make a system and try something out and people are all, you know, uh, hyped up about it or not hyped up about it and it gets out and then they change that or eliminate that from the game, people are just going to go, well, it was in there. And, right. and now there's a, you know, now there's this, you know, whole screaming hate mail on the on the right. forums. That kind of discussion, that kind of discussion is reserved for discussions of minimum viable product. We don't want that in discussions of NDAs. We have a, very, a whole separate category of being really mad about that, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe. The thing is, I can, I can kind of half see what Jeff is getting at there, but just, you know, that happens even outside of NDA. Uh, you know, take, for example, hard points on a Connie. That was pitched as one <laughs> hey, thing, and yeah, that hurts. Yeah, it, it does hurt, but it is an example of something that has changed outside of NDA. That was in pure open space, no pun intended. That yeah. they developed that and changed it, and subsequently had a bit of minor fallout or whatever. And there's Only been from a me, myriad of other changes. And I, I think again, for a company like CIG, I don't really think an NDA adds anything other than a air of a hangover from the old system. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I'm expecting them to shake it up a bit too much and the industry is not ready for my ideas, man. After a he that will not be named, you know, fiasco, I can I can understand why why they are asking for a certain bit of security in their in their testing. Yeah, Jeff, I'm super glad you brought that up. Because I think I'm I'm on the fence about it. I can understand both sides of this issue. Yes, there you don't need to make promises you can't deliver or expose features that may not be ready for prime time or maybe expose something you're trying to keep, you know, kind of a trade secret kind of thing so you think it's really cool and innovative. I see that. But on but Lennon's side, I see that too. We all paid for this access. We all joined the ride to get a look at under the hood while it's being developed. I mean, the old, the whole concept of open development and non-disclosure is a little bit of an oxymoron. Both sides are very true. Here's the part I don't like is that they've already had these sort of legalistic, you know, boogeyman threats come at them, and now they're responding with a legalistic boogeyman thing. That NDA is only as good as your willingness to enforce it, which means you're going to have to sue one of your backers if they break it. So it's kind of a worthless piece of paper to stick under people's noses, except in sort of a guilty sort of a feeling uh, way to do it. Here, sign this thing, and don't you tell anybody, or else you're going to feel really bad. Well, you know, why? Because if they, if they break it, you got to sue them. And then you got to quantify damages. And then you got to... No. Why? Why go to the extra trouble if you're never, ever going to enforce it? And that's that's really, I think, what my problem is. Just ask the people who are in your evocatee core or whatever they are to keep it quiet. And if they do, great. And if they don't, well, tough. Because it really is open development. Well, now that you know our thoughts on that, we want to hear yours. So this week's community question. Are NDAs necessary for maintaining the integrity of the process and the developer's intellectual property? Or are they a holdover from an old way of doing things that has no place in open development? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show's thread at guardfrequency.com. Now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's tune to the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendly! So let's just be friendly! 
Some say he's immune to hipsters since he was cool before it was cool, and that his knees are made of actual bees. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he helped put together this week's feedback. Community question last week. We didn't have one. We gave you the week off, so we'll just hit general feedback head on. So Matt starts us out with, Just got to say, you said in the show it had been in production for five to six years now. Launched late 2012. That's only three and a half years in production, guys. And Frankie replies with a quote, We're already one year in. Another two years puts us at three total, which is ideal. Any more and things would begin to get stale. And that was Chris Roberts from October 19th, 2012. Matt continues with, also, that was the Kickstarter start, so building studios and ramping up takes time. It will have been in full production for probably closer to two years. Yes, you may have been following it a lot, but we need to stay realistic. The production progress has been nothing short of amazing considering the production times of other AAA titles. Of all people, you guys should avoid making mistakes like saying it had been in development for six years. That throws fuel on the misinformed fire. I'm sure you will agree. Your idea that we need more ability for the fans to say no to the creatives, I think, is not accurate. I think they do take the fan feeling you're just being outvoted. I just think most of us want them to be completely not held back. That's the very reason we backed this, to see it taken to the full end of the artistic idea. And with a development of three and a half years, say it came out in 2017, that's five years, 2018, six years. Fallout 4 was seven years, Grand Theft Auto 5, five and a half years. So yeah, be chill guys, love the show, XX. Wow. So a little back and forth there, little banter, little yeah. little karate, little judo. Love it. The timelines, of course, will differ, and as we all know, the scope of the project changed quite a bit at the yes. end of the series fundraising. So let's get this all kind of laid out here. So we have the beginning date. I think we can all agree was Chris Roberts and his little team of you know his band of merry men prior to Kickstartering. Sometime in 2011. Let's call it mid-2011. I so think was, it was late 2010. His, his quote said about a year. You probably, I, I'm pretty sure you're right, Jeff. I'm sure, like, the actual beginning date could be lost to history, like when you first said, screw it, I'm going to do a Wing Commander sequel at some point in 2010, but didn't get it going till Right. Arbitrary decision. Let's call it June of 2011. Just, like, call it that, just for grins and giggles. That means that overall... It fits and starts, changing of plans. We are not quite at that point today at five years. Now, factor in, like we said, the grand expansion of the scope, opening of the studios, as Matt pointed out, et cetera, et cetera. You know, five years, though, is kind of getting towards the upper end of those development cycles that he was quoting about Grand Theft Auto and Fallout. So, and I think that we were, we were throwing around the idea of five and six years of development cycle. We were shooting at a 2017, 2018 sort of release date. So, are we all talking past each other? Are we all missing each other's dates? Well, I don't know. I think this whole thing about dates and times is getting a little bit out there. Uh, look how long STO was in production, and, and we have to include the time that Perpetual had it, too. No, I don't think we do. Yes, no, I think Star we do. No, Star Trek Online tossed all that in the garbage. They tossed it all in the garbage. I know, but that's my point. We were ready to go. We were ready to go. I mean, ready to go into beta. I also think that that's actually possibly more of an apt comparison than you would imagine because, you know, bear in mind that when this game was very first pitched, it was, I'm making Squadron yeah. 42, a standalone single-player yeah. game, Star Citizen is right. an add-on, or whatever, and then that was scrapped, and now it yeah. seems that Star Citizen is really no. the focus. You're right. You know what? I'm going to go with it. You know, in addition to that, there have been 
back-end rewrites, netcode problems, they redid the damage system, you know. Okay, no, you know what, I'm going to go with what you guys say. So factor in the perpetual license time, too. So, what, 2007, 2008 for when Perpetual kicked off development? Oh, it's earlier now. I think it was, it was way 2000, 2004 or five, actually. Okay, so it went five years between Perpetual's license in February 2010 when Star Trek Online first came out of, you know, quote, beta, went live. So that's five years-ish. And it wasn't ready. It was minimum viable product, pretty much. Right. Then, it was you know, not ready. But they uh, still trashed all the assets and all the code and everything. Yep. They, they chucked it all in the garbage, but it, and, but they got something out that, that worked in five years. Star Citizen arguably is, it's not larger in scope maybe because Star Trek Online does have ground and space, but it's not seamless. You know, they're two separate things. So, I mean, arguably Star Citizen, their scope is the same, but the implementation is a lot more complex. So give them another year or so on that. I don't think five and six years is bad. Right, but we are coming to the end of even that. I mean, we're coming up on the end. If we set an arbitrary 2011 start date and put six years on that, that's mid 2017. And as our discussion with Damon on the Collins show, that's about what we're saying. Well, you know, 2016 plus three months, we're getting into 2017 earlier, mid 2017 there. So as long as they stay the course, they're going to hit those dates for Squadron 42, not for Star Citizen. I don't think anybody realistically thinks that's going to happen. So Star Citizen will be long in the tooth. I think what uh, Chris begin to get stale. I mean, it may be a little stale by the time it actually releases. I don't know about it being stale. Just, well, it, it depends. And this probably comes back to the minimum viable product thing again. But even if you were to take Elite as an example, that was not in development for anywhere near as long as this. And they've got a product that's out the door with a decent subscriber base. It's functional. It's being received updates, you know. I think it's doable, and I think this also possibly just comes back to something that was from the really early beginnings of the Arena Commander release, is whether Chris is just willing to let it go or not. And that, and that's, you know, that's something I, I don't mind talking about, because the vision is great and stuff, but could we be playing this game like Elite... And having the updates come out. Oh, and, and I was just saying, and again, with Star Trek Online and using everything, there was a bankruptcy in the middle of that whole thing, too. I mean, mm-hmm. so that's as, as an extreme example, that thing totally went down the tubes and got resurrected by a completely separate company. So I think maybe that's our two goalposts. On the one hand, as Lennon was saying, Elite, it was a pretty quick turnaround to getting a game out the door and, and having it received and, and, and updated. And then Jeff's example of the perpetual Star Trek license on the other side, where you have a complete crash and burn, salvaging the license and completely building the thing from the ground back up over again. I think maybe those are our two endpoints. And as long as Star Citizen hits somewhere between those two, it's probably an acceptable outcome. All right. Well, moving back on to the general feedback, Preacher Man then writes in and says, Thanks, gents. Another enjoyable show, as always. I would like to add to the discussion of MVP a quick couple of thoughts. Firstly, part of the reason that we don't have a list of here's the features for launch are things like planetary procedural generation. The early word was that we would not be able to go seamlessly from space to planet until well after launch. And then Foundry 42 Germany happened and all that changed. That's one of those unexpected pieces of development to happen. Another part of the reason that we don't have a Star Marine is a combination of the FPS stuff didn't come together as quickly as they'd expected, and the social module went from you'll be able to visit each other's hangars to Port Olisar. 
Olisar because Port Olisar came together much more quickly than they had expected. At least this was according to Tony Zurovec. And looking at the time that it's taken to get to this point in the game and extrapolating that into the future is not as helpful an exercise as it might be because not only have they been building the game since 2012, they've been building the company. Adding staff so that adding new features and content should take less time because there are more hands and minds at work on it. This doesn't negate all of what you guys said on the show, but it didn't seem to me that any of it was taken into consideration during the discussion. I think these things make a difference in what our expectations could slash should be, but for what it's worth, looking forward to the next week's podcast. Actually, this is the second time that we saw this one, and I think we need to maybe talk about this too. You know, changing the company, the corporate structure part. I mean, one of the things I harp on all the time is that what we have here is not a programming or an asset building problem. Those are technical things that just sort of happen. There are some management and communication problems, and that's been my rant for a long time. And having that to say, well, they've also been building a company at the same time, that's the sort of thing that having really good management makes seamless. Jed also chimes in and says, I don't agree. First, ramping up is not a special get-free card. All companies who are experiencing success or starting a new project will have to go through this phase. Second, many decisions were maybe leading to dead ends or extending the workload due to just reworking the assets. Just my two cents. Jed agrees with me. And Sean Newboy chimes in and says... Wonderful show, everyone. Great to hear from all the callers. And Benno writes in to say, Nice call-in show. Since you talked again about the need for a defined MVP and the need for more project management, here's my response. No, CIG is doing it right. I do seem to recall that Travis Day referring to releasing target dates as starting the dick-punching machine. If CIG were to declare a target date and or what constitutes the MVP, then all CIG has done is to get everybody to complain. Every citizen has their thing and they can't all be done at once. Lots of these things are interrelated, so sometimes it makes sense to work on things in a particular order or grouping. Sometimes it makes sense to work on, say, interiors for the Banu Merchantman. Not because you need that ship now, but because you can't work on the Carrack due to a design problem somebody else is currently fixing. Defending all those decisions is hard, so, you know, why just why bother in the first place? No, I still think CIG are doing it right. We get to see progress and we get to give useful feedback. We don't get to complain about how they should do X first instead of Y. Sometimes a feature may even silently die when they find out it just doesn't scale. We also don't get to complain about how System Z is just good enough, so they should call it done. If Z is good enough for you, then go play the heck out of it and enjoy it, and then be pleasantly surprised when it gets improved later. Or tell them what you liked about the previous state and why it should change back to that. Dates and percentage complete bars are just going to set expectations that will make people unhappy. Code RM11 says, thanks for sharing about Elite Dangerous. Have a great Thursday. Derek Smart writes in and says, the latest Star Citizen at Guard Freak is up. Fast forward to the 24.0 mark and go from there. A caller talks about MVP. I told you, Damon, I told you you needed to come on the show and you did. And sure enough, look who noticed. Uh-huh. Ken from Chicago writes in and says, wait, doesn't the features list that Sandy and Ben gave on ATV for 2.1, 2.2, 2.3, etc. PUs qualify as the checklist you were looking for? Hang on a second there, Ken from Chicago. I want an actual check. I want, for example, if you take over a piece of commercial real estate, you like tell them what to put the walls and how many electrical outlets you need and stuff like that. Then you go and inspect it and you generate what's called a punch list. This list is the things that get punched out when you check them off. Like we've got the fourth electrical outlet in there. We've painted the wall. We've done this stuff. So I want a punch list. I've created one. 
Mr. Uh, Damon from last week, he created one. We're a little different, but you know that's to be expected when we don't have a master list, right? I would like CIG to create one. All right, so from our Reddit post, and we we just, man, Reddit, that's just fun. But we braved the Reddits, and uh, from Shiv's post to the show on Reddit, where Shiv makes a little description of what was in the show, PsychoDoc continues Shiv's description in an unofficial capacity and says, Then the gang waxes poetic about how star citizens should stop fundraising, since $113 million is enough forever, and should corporatize and submit to a board of directors. This and more straw arguments await, while listeners are referred to past episodes of the show for refutation of the very same arguments. I, actually, I think we were referring to that episode of Galactic Inquiry where yes. you and I, Lennon, said kind of enough is enough with the stretch goals and additional features. At, at I think we were at $50 million back then. Around that, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, no, $113 million isn't enough and enough forever. $50 million wasn't enough and enough forever. But additional features at that point were enough. And any additional fundraising, the model needed to have been changed a lot sooner to prevent what – and I. I don't think you can argue this at this point. Go ahead, John. Go ahead, Lennon. I was just backing you up there. I was just saying yeah. that I think our main point was not don't have any more money. It was stop increasing the scope of a project that is already pretty bloody massive. We were looking for a way to prevent feature creep, not a way for them to stop getting money. You know, 113 million props to them. They can do incredible things with that. They could do even better things with 120, 130, 140. I don't think that they should stop raising money. I think they should stop adding features. I think that they need to focus on the project and on hand and not let it grow bigger than, yes, than they can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that needed to happen in 2014. I don't think any one of us expect that we'll get this game and all of a sudden the game doesn't grow. I expect them to, you know, continually develop the game and continually add features down the road as the game gets played and we're all clamoring for content and, and stuff to do. I don't think any of us want to see CIG just stop adding things to it. What we want them to do is to finish the core that they told us that they were going to create. All signs point to that's what they're trying to do. So we're okay with giving them the road and the room to do it. I think we all are. But looking back, 2020 hindsight, that focus should have been more in focus two years ago. And Dilek Firehawk writes in and says, it was incredibly fun playing with you guys. Oh, thanks, Dilek. Yeah, we had a good time. I don't know if any of you noticed from the amazing post-production efforts that... Uh, that uh, <laughs> well, this week it was you and me, Lennon, wasn't it? It was. The, the, it was the yeah, two of us, Lennon, yeah. Yeah, the two of us. So uh, we were actually playing Elite Dangerous while we were recording that show. Lennon did have the uh, honors of cutting out a bunch of, you know, warrant scan complete, uh, opening fire, target marked sort of calls. Well, me and Jeff and our uh, senior executive chairman of the board, producer Guy Elliott, uh, and Dillick were all flying around in a wing in a uh, Hazra's zone in Elite Danger. So, yeah, do a good time, Dillick. You're welcome back anytime. Yep, and if anybody out there does want to just randomly pick us up on a group sometime, all of our usernames for pretty much every game that we play are on our website. So just go look them up. Go to the uh, Cool Science section, which is under the, I think is under the About section. It's got like submenu. You can find all our usernames in there. Add us in games. We'll happily hang out with you anytime and or run away if you're trying to kill us, basically. So uh, Silent Hunter then writes in and says, Dear Guard Frequency, just been listening to some of episode 119 whilst traveling on the Tube, that's the London Underground, to the lawyer. 
and wanted to give my thoughts on this subject. I have to say that the MVP for Star Citizen is not a simple, this is viable and this isn't case. It depends on the price point. I would say that Arena Commander herself is a viable product, but only for 5 or maybe 10 of Her Majesty's Pounds. It would be a good standalone game with some added permanent features, such as unlockable weapons and ships. I believe that the retail price for the main universe and Squadron 42 will be roughly £30 each based on what CIG have said. Based on that, a good rule of thumb would be a pound a system or mission. Those are complete in each case, in the former including a station and a planet each. I must admit I haven't really been playing much of the game lately, mainly because I'm waiting for some big new feature to drop into the verse, namely another star system or planet as the two get pretty boring after a while, or the ability to actually travel, you know, in between them. I agree that a firm schedule should be set, but only internally. If the game misses a release date or comes out on time but shoddy, then there will be serious problems. Better to get it right than fast. See you in the verse at some point. At some point, yes. At some point. Rent-a-spoon says, great podcast as always, guys. Just want to point out a few things. First, using CPUs as an example for the engineer's crafting system is a bad idea, as all CPUs, when built, are designed to be top of the range. It isn't until afterwards that they look at a CPU and say, oh, this is an i7 because we can do this with it and get these speeds. This is called binning. And he puts a link to a YouTube uh, explanation by an org leader of his. And don't even get me started on overclocking and the silicone lottery. So using CPUs as an example only proves elite devs are being realistic. Second, last episode you said CIG should give an updated timeline or progress bar. I agree, but what I want to ask you is, as a community, do we deserve it? I think we do, but the community, gaming media, and other devs, not just he who shall not be named, have proven several times that when given the info, we, I use the word we loosely, twist it and run around like panicking children with hands flailing, shouting, it's doomed. <laughs> progress bar for the win. Chris should be allowed to say and do what he wants, but they need someone to wind people's necks in when things like this happen and start to clarify issues like MVP when it becomes an issue, not wait a week. Basically, they need somebody to wave the Star Citizen banner. Yeah, I, I mean, he's yeah. he's got a point there, but I mean, as a community, do we deserve it? Um, I think the people that Pact have, and of course with this being open development, once the backers have it, then yes, the gaming media was going to have it, and he who shall not be named will also have it. You know, I think that you made your bed and you got to lie in it. If you're going to have open development and make that an integral part of your Kickstarter campaign and your own personal crowdfunding campaign, you got to roll with it. Yeah, and also just to kind of directly answer the question, as a community, do we deserve it? Mm, maybe, probably not. As a consumer of a product, as somebody who has handed over money as a purchaser, yes, I think we do. I agree, because if I was the person on the outskirts watching this game and I haven't bought a ship or I hadn't uh, backed a, a single red cent, I wouldn't deserve to know squat, really. I'd be just waiting for the game to be uh, announced release and then I could participate. But having spent the kind of money that I have spent, I feel kind of entitled. I, I'm not saying that I, you know, I, I'm don't need open access to their books and I don't need to know their production schedule. But on the other hand, hey, you know, I, I'm an investor. And continuing on, our new Patreon this week is Wolfgang. <laughs> There's only oh, one reason why we have you do this section, Jeff. There's only one reason. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Goshventner. Goshventner. Yeah. Wolfgang Gushuntner. 
<laughs> one, one more time, Jeff. Go on. You can, you can do it. Just like clear your throat, clear your mind, <clears throat> just put on your best German accent that My you possibly best. can and just nail it. Go. Wolfgang Goschwantner. Good enough. Okay, and the winner of brand new patches, Wolfgang Goschwantner and Corell. And this week's community question, are NDAs necessary for maintaining the integrity of the process and the developer's intellectual property, or are they a holdover from the old way of doing things that has no place in open development? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. But wait, there's more. Everyone has been patched up, so to speak. So what would you guys like to see next? Hats, t-shirts, wings, handwritten haikus from the shiv. Well, let us know. If your name hasn't been announced, it was either a clerical error or you're down in the I Choose No Rewards section on Patreon. Let us know if you should get a patch or don't know what you were thinking and you do want a patch. We want to make sure that everybody who's been supporting the show has a chance to get one and actually does get one. So how was the show? Something worth leaking or is it the sort of thing people really shouldn't be talking about? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Leave a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com. Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak. And leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, shoot us an email to squawk at GuardFrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website. All the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 120 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 121 on May 24th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our show over at our website at guardfrequency.com. But that is not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We generally start broadcasting around 11pm Central. That's Saturdays at 5am GMT. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. You can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25, you get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly drawing to win some Guard Frequency goodies. And remember, what goodies do you want next? We want to thank all our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week, and hope you consider making a regular contribution, because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Delic did it, so you should too. If you're looking for a friendly wingman, we're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call sign section for details of how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Shivery Bean Lowmaster, our artist Ben Saunders and Simon Charlton Edwards, and our staff writers Jace Pintad and Kin Shadow, our producer Jeff Grant, and of course our audio engineer Michael Duncan. A big shout out to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust.
Jeff, NDAs in open development, as I mean, the term itself, non-disclosure agreement, it does even just generally imply that there are things that you should have to start again for because I just punched my microphone stand and that is going to be all over the recording. Let's try that again. Beep, beep. This is Tony, Flight Deck Sync 1. This is Lennon hitting the Flight Deck button, Sync 2. This is Jeff hitting the Flight Deck button, Sync 3. Just we, really do our own, <laughs> we really do need our own bespoke audio recorder with these buttons on it. Flight Deck in 3, 2. So, I, I'm sorry, so Tony, I can't go on. I'm chuffed and knackered. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound right in an American accent. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't. And the tone with hey, which it was said makes me yes, think I yeah, do not want to glance no. over that side of the recording booth right now yeah, because yeah. there's some hey, bad things Hey, y'all, I'm real on. chuffed and knackered right now. <laughs> Gotta, can't do this no more. I'm chuffed and knackered. Yeah, it doesn't, and it doesn't work. Has anyone else noticed that the game is getting a little ridiculous at this point? The name, not the game. Well, oh. the game might be getting ridiculous. The game might be getting ridiculous, we're but it's the name. talking about the name at this point. Name. Uh, it's that Cockney thing. You know, I'm rhyming mm. everything automatically. While you're speaking very slowly, should we make good radio while you're looking at something? No, no, I was doing that as a segue for Jeff oh. so he can talk about well. patch notes. Some say he's immune to hipsters since he was cool before it was cool, and that his bees are made of actual knees. And I. Botch that completely. So I'll do it again. <laughs> but all we know is it's going in the blooper reel. <laughs> Another part of the reason it, that blah. Another part of the reason that we don't have a Star Marine is a combination of the SP Another part of the reason that we don't have Star Marine is a combination of the FPS uh, FPS. And Dillick Firehawk writes in and says it was incredibly incredibly fun. <laughs> Can't even say that word now. The industry is not ready for my ideas, man.